goal of the Danish National Biobank is to strengthen the Danish research infrastructure and thereby the conditions for the Danish public health research and international research collaborations. In this podcast series, we will try to give an insight into how well that is in fact going. We will meet some of the brilliant researchers breaking new ground, as well as other collaborators that are helping us achieve those main goals by harnessing the potential in the biological treasury of the biobank. Welcome to the first episode of the Danish National Biobank podcast. My name is Michael Christensen, and I'm a chief physician at the Staten Serum Institute in Copenhagen. I work with clarifying the genetic causes of uh, diseases in the Danish population. In particular, I work with studying the mtDNA and its role in causing psychiatric disease using the samples stored in the Danish National Biobank. Michael is part of a comprehensive research project called iPsych that aims to help link biology and psychology closer together by looking for physical causes of mental disorders such as autism, schizophrenia and depression, as well as prognostic factors, that is, potential indicators of the severity of a disease. The iPsych project is looking at these disorders from all sides, and Michael Christensen's specific focus in all of this is something called mitochondrial DNA, a type of DNA that exists in our cells, but outside the nucleus, and separately from the chromosomes that are most often associated with the DNA. As part of the very large Isaac uh, research project, where we intend to find causes uh, and prognostic factors, among others, in psychiatric diseases, we have at SSI a project where we look into the significance of mitochondrial DNA for the development and uh, cause of uh, psychiatric diseases. And we have uh, studied uh, the mitochondrial DNA in, uh, in many thousand both patients and controls, in order to see if variations in the mitochondrial DNA could explain some cases of psychiatric disease or could give us a hint as to whether it's possible to predict how severe a psychiatric disease would be for, for a patient. As part of the research, Michael Christensen's group has come across some very interesting insights into the origin and biological ancestry of the Danish population. But how do you get to there from studying mental disorders? It has to do with the nature of mitochondrial DNA. Normally when we talk about DNA studies, we would talk about what's in the, the nucleus of the cell, the DNA that, uh, that uh, sort of gives most of our uh, heritable traits. You know, most of, uh, there are about 25,000 genes in our nucleus and they sort of control uh, how our cell is built up, which proteins are made and how things function. But there's a little exception to this because in our mitochondria, the energy workhorses of the cell, where the energy used in the cell is produced, they also contain DNA. Some of that DNA is used to actually build these mitochondria themselves, and some of them are used to sort of uh, control uh, how the mitochondria function as part of, of maintaining the, the, the proper function of, of, uh, of the cell. Uh, and you should also say one of the very interesting things about mitochondrial DNA is that it's only inherited from the mother. 
So my mitochondrial DNA comes from my mother. Her mitochondrial DNA comes from her mother. So we can go back through the maternal line for a long, long, long time and uh, use the mitochondrial DNA as, as an expression of where that ancient mother we may have came from. Uh, another important aspect here is that we don't see what's called recombination mitochondrial DNA. Mitochondrial DNA doesn't change. You know, in normal, um, when a couple has a child, you'll see that the DNA in that child is a mixture of the couple's DNA, not just in, in the mixture of chromosomes, but also uh, structural changes in the DNA strand where some genes are exchanged and others are not. In mitochondria, that doesn't really happen. So you can say that apart from mutations that occur around one per 3,000 years, we can go back in time from mother to mother to mother to mother. And that's why we can sort of say something about where people come from and how ancient their, their, their ancestry is. Attempting to link mitochondrial DNA variations to mental disorders, Michael's team had to first make sure they had an understanding of the distribution of these variations that was representative of the entire population, or risk reaching false conclusions. Well, the, uh, the first thing you have to do if you want to see if there's a, an association between a genetic variant and a particular disease or condition is that you need to know what is the distribution of a variation in the normal population, in the average population. Because we are trying to see if certain variants are more frequent in deceased persons as compared to, to the controls. But uh, there has been a lot of studies with conflicting results based on rather few uh, participants. And uh, often on participants from an isolated part of a country or a city or a, the area around a hospital. And uh, we believe that uh, the problem with such studies could be that they don't really comprise the total variation in a population. So if we didn't study carefully how the distribution was of our genetic variants in mitochondrial DNA in the whole Danish population, then we might risk actually associating some diseases or some variants to disease where it was actually just a question of sort of a random um, uh, d uh, distribution deviation. So it would be what we call an artifact of, uh, of, the, uh, of the sampling rather than a real connection to disease. And in order to, to sort of do that, we have studied what is the distribution of mitochondrial DNA haplogroups, you know, <clears throat> large groups of genetic variation in the Danish population. Well, haplogroups are sort of collections of, of uh, variants that became fixed at a specific place and a specific time. You have a population, it may start out, off as a few 30, 40 individuals, but then they expand. There are many thousands of them, and as the mother is the same, for, for many of them, you will see that they, 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 it leads to multiplication of a specific mitochondrial haplogroup, a specific group of, of variants. And then when they start traveling or mixing with other populations, you can follow this mitochondrial DNA trait. And in doing so, we were capable or able to do it with nearly 25,000 persons distributed all over Denmark, so we didn't sort of leave some, some areas out. 
uh, we've been able to show that our background, sort of our background in mitochondrial DNA variation is more varied than we thought previously. The conclusion we see from these uh, from these studies is that most of the genetic variation in the Danish population is caused by different groups of people arriving to Denmark in different uh, different time periods over the last sort of twelve or thirteen, fourteen thousand years, and that was a that was a bit uh, well. We sort of knew historically that that might be the case. But uh, it has been very interesting to see how extensive this variation is and how inhomogeneous we actually are. Because we also see subtle differences between cities and uh, rural areas and we see uh, geographic differences. And this finding uh, is from a scientific point important because we need to be very careful when we try to see associations between variants and disease. We need to take care that we are not sort of misunderstanding a basic difference between different population groups with disease associations. And um, on the other hand, it's also interesting because it sort of documents that uh, that uh, our inheritance and our history is so complex. Denmark, from the way we can analyze these data, is the result of uh, the Danish population is the result of many, many uh, different uh, uh, waves of immigration over thousands of years. This research <clears throat> is only possible because we have a Danish national biobank, because we have been able to collect uh, DNA samples from uh, the large, large majority of Danes since uh, around the end of the 70s. And that enables us, of course, if we, we have to comply with a lot of ethics regulations and legal stuff, etc. But when all that is, is sort of dealt with satisfactorily, we have a research tool available that enables us to study both sort of disease associations, we can understand diseases better, much better, and with much greater certainty. And we can also sort of make sure that it's not just a small group of Danes these results apply to. We can spread them out. We can increase the evidence for real sort of disease-associated uh, studies. But we can also say that, that uh, the biobank enables us to get uh, a sort of representative uh, parts of the population. So we do not lose a geographic region or a specific group of people when we perform such, such studies. And then, of course, we can now say something about the mitochondrial distribution in the population, which means that we can talk about Danes and what it means to be a Dane in a much more comprehensive way than any other studies can do. And I think that, that shows that both from a scientific healthcare-oriented point of view Precision medicine is the key word today, the genetic variation in one person and how it translates into how you should actually give an optimal uh, treatment. And then the, the cultural side of it, that uh, it actually enables us to get some information about where Danes come from, how we are structured, etc. And I often consider, you know, the, national, the Danish National Biobank is comparable to the National Archives. You know, we all love the thought, some of us love the thought of going to a museum, explaining some important or being involved in important historical events. With the, uh, the National Biobank and the storage of bios, biological samples, we can also understand who we are. This leads us to the most basic questions. 
what does this say about the typical Dane, and what does it say about all the Danes? <laughs> well, I can say about the typical Dane, he can be uh, he can actually have a an ancestry that comes from large parts of uh, of the world. You know, he can be he can have had an an ancestral mother who was walking with the Indo-Europeans when they entered Europe. He could have had an ancestral mother who was uh, living in uh, the Near Orient. He can have an African mother. We do see a very broad spectrum of haplogroups. So we can see that Denmark today is composed of slightly more than 90% of haplogroups that are very common in Europe. But there are 10% of us who have haplogroups that are not so common, not classically European. They represent probably older, uh, very old immigration groups or very old population groups that were here before the sort of uh, we really mixed up Europe uh, after the fall of the of the Roman Empire. So it does say that the individual Dane can, from his haplogroup, get some idea of his ancestral history. As a population, we can see that we are composed of many, many different contributions at that level. In most likelihood, it's, it's a group of people you come from. Sure. But what has happened is, you know, people talk about the mitochondrial Eve. She became very famous in around 30 years ago because this was the first demonstration that uh, uh, human ancestry actually started in Africa. That's where we have the out of Africa sort of uh, conception about how humanity uh, started, modern humanity started and developed. At some point in time, some of the African uh, women went from Africa to the Middle East and then spread to Asia and then some of them also spread into Europe. When they, <clears throat> when they were sort of resting in a certain place for a certain time, it was possible to see certain variants develop because there was, a, the, you say, around one per 3,000 years, you get a genetic variant in the mitochondrial DNA. So with time, you will see changes develop in these. But if you had a population that was stagnant in a particular place and accumulated a number of, of such variants and, and increased in size and remained in a place and then suddenly started moving to another place, then you could say that the new place they came to, they could see that this, this addition to them, to the new population, came from this place that was characterized by these accumulated variants. This is the sort of rather complicated principle behind us saying that we have some evidence that genetic variants in mitochondrial DNA do depict where one of our ancestors actually sort of came from. It's difficult to pinpoint a single person. <laughs> we can't sort of go to Africa and find her. That would be unlikely. Most likely we've had a group of females who sort of had the same mitochondrial haplogroups. And out of that, those different groups, we have seen people uh, sort of, they uh, have come the people who, who left Africa. But we do know that, for instance, the early population of Europe from the Middle East was composed of a very small number of, uh, of uh, people. I have seen an estimate saying that uh, the ancestry of, uh, of Europe is based on about a thousand women who were sort of had that number, around a thousand women for a thousand years. That's what we call a population bottleneck. You know, very few people actually leading into uh, the 
the expansion into the first population of, of Europe. But then afterwards came new waves of people from the Middle East and people from the steppes of, of Russia and, uh, and or Asia and also people coming from up from Spain over Africa and uh, there's a very complicated uh, pattern of movements of people from uh, the Middle East to Africa and from Africa to the Middle East and from again Africa to, 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 Ar to the Arab Peninsula etc. Some of these um, some of these um, historic trails are being uh, uncovered now thanks to the fantastic work done with ancient DNA partly at the University of Copenhagen, which sort of adds a time dimension to the genetic variation. So we can say that we have this, these distributions of genetic variants, but people who want to place a specific time on a specific haplogroup, they have to go to ancient DNA and see how, how did this change over time. Ancient DNA is the study of DNA isolated from ancient specimens. Genetic material recovered from archaeological findings, such as skeletons or mummified tissues. Ancient DNA research sort of goes hand in hand with modern day DNA research because uh, some of the variants that we see in in, uh, in in modern day Danes, it's very important to see when did they start being present. For instance, the variants that came with the Indo-Europeans or the or the great migrations in the Bronze Age. Uh, through ancient DNA studies, it's been possible to say when did these arrive. We can just see that they're there now. We can also see that we have variants that were there before the Bronze Age, the early Stone Age variants. So, so, so the ancient DNA sort of puts a time profile on the variation we see today. And that's why they sort of go hand in hand. And it's very exciting that technological development has sort of helped both in our studies, which is helped by biobanking and uh, highly efficient DNA sequencing, and then the ancient DNA studies that have been helped by uh, major advances in the ability to sequence very, very small and very damaged DNA. So we have analyzed haplogroups at this level and uh, have been able to show that uh, the Danish population comprises about 90% of classical European haplogroups, haplogroups that are very frequent in Europe and represent a mixture of uh, variants coming with the Indo-Europeans and variants coming with the Neolithic uh, uh, expansion. And finally, some elements of very ancient mitochondrial DNA haplogroups that have been around from the oldest uh, Stone Age, where we have some uh, we have some knowledge of this because it has been possible to analyze ancient DNA, particularly from, from northern Germany and Sweden. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that's what we found this on. One of the more technical findings is that we actually can see that some people who have come, who have haplogroups that are European, still have, a, have an ancestry of the rest of the genome you know, the classical genome, the DNA in the cells, that is not really completely Danish, but more European, and in some cases, even near Eastern. So a third sort of result that is something we need to work with and understand is that not all haplogroups, are, the haplogroups are not sort of completely mixed with, uh, with the variation in the classical genome. 
So we have to take a bit care when we look at, at haplogroups and we need to analyze not just the mitochondrial DNA but also the nuclear DNA to understand whether we, it's possible for us to so how we should analyze the significance of a single genetic variant as a risk factor for, for instance, schizophrenia or autism. The most important result from a scientific point of view is the, that we now are much better equipped to understand the complexity of the mitochondrial DNA genetic variation in Denmark. We know that it's much more complex than we previously thought. and We've been able to see traces of, of changes over time and uh, over uh, uh, w within our borders, uh, geographical uh, changes. And that's a very important knowledge if we want to look for associations between mitochondrial DNA variants and psychiatric disease, which is our sort of ultimate purpose of this of this um, research. I can tell you that our initial studies, before we were aware of all this complexity, uh, our initial studies <clears throat> showed, as other studies have shown, that there was an association between mitochondrial DNA. Certain haplogroups had a much higher frequency of uh, certain diseases, psychiatric diseases, uh, and uh, this is this could be explained on theoretical grounds because mitochondrial DNA might influence the amount of energy present in in uh, brain cells. It could influence the how uh, how um, fragile brain cells were for for external influences, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it it would sort of fit. And we actually <clears throat> also gave some talks where we described these results. But then we realized that what others had not really realized before, that the, these results are very, very dependent upon how, what the structure is in the population you study of, of the basic uh, distribution of mitochondrial haplogroups. And now we can see when we start doing this, and we also published a paper on that, that some of the variants that internationally have been considered, in mitochondrial DNA, that internationally have been considered to be associated with schizophrenia, they are now not that anymore, not in the Danish population, as a result of really doing sort of, uh, of understanding the genetic complexity properly and uh, doing, let's say, the correct way of analysis. So it does have a significance for science in, in psychi psychiatry. But then, of course, and that's one of the things that sort of is uh, frosting on the cake, that uh, these results actually say something about how Denmark came to be. I think it may sort of uh, remind us that, uh, that we may look the same, speak the same language, but we do have different backgrounds if we go back uh, years back. But of course, I'm not talking about 10 years or 15 years. I'm talking about many, many, many generations. But I think it's interesting to know that we are a, a country composed of so many contributions from different parts of, of the world over history. So I think that that's important. And as an example, I can say that uh, a couple of years ago, I had my own mitochondrial DNA sequenced. And much to my surprise, it turned out that I actually have at least far, far back in time, a very ancient maternal relative in northern India. My DNA, mitochondrial DNA, seems to indicate to have started or been developed in, in northern India. And I think that uh, some of the magnificent work done by archaeologists these years, you know, showing that people who we thought were sort of archetypical Danes are actually coming from other parts of Europe, sort of uh, paint the same picture, a more complex world and a and then 
an old world where we had uh, a lot more, many more connections than, than we think today. And I think that, that that's, that's food for thought. Will you move on to Sweden next or what's the future for this uh, well, type of Well, we research? are actually working a bit with, with people in other countries, but our focus is to apply the, uh, the, uh, the results to the study of psychiatric disease. We still need to be absolutely certain that we cannot find any signals in mitochondrial DNA that can be helped with, that can help in understanding psychiatric disease. And we do collaborate with people in the US and in, in Canada and, and in other countries to try to uh, pool our patients so we can sort of see if we can get so many patients that we can really contribute to an understanding of what the mitochondrial DNA and mitochondrial function, which role it plays. So uh, no, the, so our focus will not be on clarifying the Swedish population, but it will be trying to find the link between mitochondrial DNA and psychiatric disease, if any is to be found. And again, here, using the Danish National Biobank, which has given us access to so many patients, is a, is a fantastic resource. And uh, apart from sort of having exciting collaborations, we're also sort of uh, recognized the people who founded the research initiative called ISIC, uh, which is sort of the, the hat under which this research uh, is done, they, uh, they have become major players in the international molecular psychiatry world because they have been po it has been possible to find this fantastic uh, source of, of research and do it in a way so it's all all the ethics, etc., etc., has been discussed and legality is, is, uh, is accepted and there's a political, seems to be a political and population consensus about uh, the fact that we want to develop and use our resources and our registries to improve patient care. And, uh, you know, the whole interest of psychiatric disease fits with the, the growing or already present interest from uh, from the health authorities to put an emphasis on psychiatric patients. It's a group that has uh, that's really living a challenged life and uh, we need to improve the medicines, we need to improve the treatment, we need to do something about the shortened lifespan of these patients and uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's, I think it's uh, worthwhile trying to see what we can, how we can improve on these, uh, how we can make the world better for psychiatric patients. Thanks for hanging on till the end. We'll be back soon with another podcast from the Science Treasury of the Danish National Biobank.